Okay, guys, technical difficulties, whatever. We keep going. So let's start again. Slide one, the Cuomo cover-up. Here we go. Fit of honesty, there was a Cuomo aide that admitted the state had withheld COVID data about nursing home deaths. The Cuomo administration, they were hoping to avoid scrutiny by the Trump DOJ. They hid data and they refused requests for that data, including Freedom of Information Act. They also rejected the Trump administration's request for that information. The aide even stated they were afraid the true numbers would be used against them. She said right around the same time, President Trump turns this into a giant political football. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Is this politics at this point? Is that what we're going for? Is politics not determining whether or not we're actually protecting lives? She also said he starts tweeting that we killed everyone in nursing homes. Well, where were most of your deaths? He starts going after Murphy, starts going after Newsom, starts going after Gretchen Whitmer, which, mind you, Whitmer, um, they were putting people who were not supposed to be in nursing homes in nursing homes. So in addition to attacking Cuomo's fellow Democrat governors, DeRosa said Trump directs the Department of Justice to do an investigation into us. Yeah, maybe because Cuomo and his administration were doing some really weird things the whole time, right? Um, if you remember, when this first came out, they didn't even shut down the subways. They packed everybody in. But, of course, they, they were doing everything else, right? No. It took forever for things to really get moving in terms of what they were going to do. And then they started going after small businesses, they start shutting down small businesses. They, they weren't really strong in terms of their nursing homes. So it was kind of one of those backward approaches. And you kind of scratch your head and go, what are you guys actually trying to do? And so she said, because of this Department of Justice thing, basically, we froze. She so was on a phone call with lawmakers for about two hours. Uh, this <laughs> It gets even better, guys. She says, because then we were in a position where we weren't sure if we were going to give to the Department of Justice or what we give to you guys, what we start saying was going to be used against us while we weren't sure if there was going to be an investigation. Ah, so you started withholding evidence, started withholding things. She, played, she said that played a very large role into this. After dropping the bombshell, she asked for a little bit of appreciation of the context and offered what appears to be the Cuomo administration's first apology, their first, for handling of nursing homes amid the pandemic. But listen to the, the apology. So we do apologize. I do understand the position that you were put in. These were Democratic lawmakers. The position you were put in. I know that it is not fair. It was not our intention to put, in, put you in that political position with the Republicans. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Political position with the Republicans. I'm sorry you guys were a little bit uncomfortable. How about an apology for what happened with thousands of deaths because you were trying to sweep it under the rug? Maybe if we hadn't been trying to sweep everything under the rug and we had been honest about the numbers and you were honest with yourselves about the numbers, something else could have been done. But instead, what we do is we sweep it under the rug. We say, no, 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 no. Hold on. Let's not get this into the political court. So the Democrats, this didn't go over well with them. They were pretty angry. The funny thing was many of them were angry because it hindered their election chances. They were angry because, well, I needed votes and, and you screwed that up for me. This was used against me. 
there were one or two that had a little more integrity said, look, we could have done more if we had had all the facts and you withheld the facts from us. But there hasn't been an apology to family members. There hasn't been an apology to anybody in the public. Um, instead, the apologies were to their own people, the Democrat lawmakers that might have been affected by this because those nasty, dangerous Republicans were wondering what was going on. Now, is that to say that Republicans weren't playing politics with the whole thing? No, Republicans were playing politics. Everybody plays politics, right? But the thing is, you had a chance to be honest about what was going on. And usually, let me point this out to you. Are you honest most of the time if you know you're right, or are you honest or are you not honest when you know you're wrong? Think about that. If you know you're wrong, you tend not to be honest. If you know you're right, you tend to be honest and you tend to be upfront. So my question is, if you're worried about an investigation into what's going on, why are you hiding the numbers? Hmm. Why could a person possibly want to hide the numbers? Because they're afraid of an investigation. Here's another thought. If you were doing so well and you were doing things the way things needed to be done, wouldn't you hold those numbers up and say, see, we're doing what we need to do. You should be doing more to help us if the numbers are bad or look to us because we're a model if your numbers are good. But instead, what they said was, no, 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 no. I don't want the DOJ to know this. I don't want freedom of information to get out. I don't want the, the journalists to know this. I don't want my own lawmakers to know this. That's what we were dealing with in New York. Now, people attack Florida, which kind of goes crazy for me because Florida, Florida hasn't done much. And thank goodness for it. And guess what? Florida, where do you think or, or what do you think of with Florida? Do you think uh, young people or do you think old people? I have heard Florida called God's waiting room right? So we have a very old population, yet we were still dead in the middle in terms of deaths of COVID versus cases. Dead in the middle. And what did we do? Not a whole lot. We, we had some recommendation, recommendation stuff in place. There were certain areas like Miami who did a lot more in terms of lockdowns. That's up to them. But as a state, we said, we're going to let localities figure this out. Do what's best for you. Whereas in New York, Cuomo decided he needed a, a fist to control and oppress everybody, right? New York was in the top, what, three? Now, they, they are much more condensed together. So that's understandable. I'm not going to try and throw this around of, well, you know, see, it's all completely equal. Florida is much more spread out. It, it's, it's much less dense in certain ways. But if you take the dense areas of, say, New York City and you take the dense areas of Miami and Orlando, you, you still had better numbers in Miami and Orlando. Now, we're not going to get into all the science of that, but, but just think about that. Everybody came down on Florida. DeSantis, he was the worst, evil, horrible, possible human being in the world. Yet DeSantis stood his ground. Thank you for that, Mr. DeSantis. Put some support in the comments for DeSantis. Let him know how you guys feel about that. Um, but Cuomo, he was the one with the briefings every day. He won an Emmy. Cuomo won an Emmy, guys, for this. 
and everybody lifted him. He wrote a book about how well they handled the coronavirus pandemic. Everybody looked to him and said, or the media, I should say, looked to him and said, you're the champion of this. You're the one doing right. Trump administration could learn a thing or two. This is showing us, this event is showing us that there's more to this story and that we can't just listen to what media is telling us about whether or not somebody's doing well. And we, we have to do the research for ourselves to see what are the numbers actually doing. And there's been other research that's been done in other states that has really shown things that have, have been getting covered up on the effect on nursing homes versus the rest of the population. Check it out. I, I won't go any further than that, but check it out. So in interest or similarities of cover-ups, let's go to slide number two. We have some Wuhan lab connections. So if you read that title, it says, a man at the center of the world's biggest story has a conflict of interest. Why won't the media report it? This is from the Daily Caller. Um, I'm going to be quoting some excerpts from it, but I think this is really interesting to pay attention to as well. So Daily Caller reports, much reporting on the WHO's recent visit to Wuhan has done little to characterize Dr. Peter Daszak, the sole U.S. citizen on the team, and his background. Daszak has a long financial history with the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Previous reporting shows this. He even organized a PR campaign, a PR campaign in early 2020 to paint the lab leak hypothesis as a conspiracy. He's the one who did the PR campaign. We'll show the financial connections in a second. In order to relieve the lab and Beijing of any potential scrutiny. Sounds like a fair and honest person, right? We've been told that believing that it's from a lab is crazy, that it's a conspiracy theory. Yet somebody who has direct financial ties is saying, well, let's, let's do some propaganda to show how it wasn't that place that I have a financial interest in. Like, look over there. Look at the birdie. Daily Caller continues, NBC reported the news to and cited Chinese researchers working at the lab. <laughs> Did you do it? No. Do you work there? Yes. Was there any wrong? No. Okay, I believe you. Sounds good. Goodbye. So Chinese researchers working at the lab is among those who have dismissed the theory that the virus leaked from the lab. Business Insider wrote that the WHO experts were so sure of the lab theory post-investigation that they were able to take the hypothesis off the table entirely. Mind you, a couple hours later, the WHO came out and basically backtracked all of it and said, look, look, well, we're, we're not taking it off the table. There's, there's a lot of evidence pointing here. Other publications like BBC News, the Associated Press, even cited Dasik in their reporting, but not his direct financial ties in the lab and its research. The AP noted that Dasik said the team enjoyed a greater level of openness than they had anticipated. They were granted full access to all sites and personnel they required or they requested. The level of openness Dasik bragged about was actually the opposite. Uh, we found this out later. China was withholding key information from the WHO team, according to the Wall Street Journal. Can you give us all the information? No. Can you give us a little bit of information? No. Okay, good enough. They were fully open with us. As they gave us everything we could have. To start, Dasik heads up a nonprofit 
Okay, this is where the financial ties come in. You'll be interested in this. Heads up a nonprofit called EcoHealth Alliance that has channeled money from the National Institutes of Health to the WIV, according to a lengthy article published by New York Magazine in January 2021. So that money that EcoHealth Alliance provided helped the Wuhan lab continue conducting research regarding the diseases of humans and bats which the the this strain of coronavirus or the novel coronavirus has been linked to bats and that was kind of where the direction came in but the question was was it linked to a bat in a wet market 400 meters from the Wuhan lab so regarding the diseases of humans and bats according to the New York magazine article he also used money from another program researching emerging pandemic threats through his nonprofit and into the Wuhan virology lab. Hmm, I wonder, I wonder. The money was mixed in with funds from the National Institutes of Health and the US Defense Threat Reduction Agency and DASIC's nonprofit was eventually instructed to cease providing any funds to Wuhan Institute of Virology in April 2020, a few months after the global pandemic began. This is where it gets good, guys. This isn't over. This gets better. Just you wait. Dasik pushed back on the NIH and helped get 77 Nobel Prize winners to sign a letter condemning its demands. The letter claimed that canceling the funds would hurt the nation and the world of highly regarded science that could help control one of the greatest health crises in modern history and those that may arise in the future. China, the same country that was the architect of the idea of the lockdown and just so happened to watch everybody else in the world lock down their economies. Meanwhile, people are partying in Wuhan. There's a video of parties, massive parties going on in Wuhan, right? And we did see videos of them locking down hardcore because Beijing, in China, the culture is the government, the state, subservient to the state. You're not an individualist. You are part of the common good. So the idea is you may be sacrificed for the government. And if you are subservient to that, you submit to that, then Whatever the government has to do to you in order to make the government safe face is what needs to happen. And we saw time and time again, Beijing try to save face with what they were doing. They refused to admit that there was human to human transmission. Taiwan, which they don't like, they have no interest in. They want Taiwan to admit they're part of China. Taiwan came out and said, we have information. It's human to human. And you know what China said? Uh, where's the off button on the Zoom call? They turned it off. They said, no, 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 don't listen to Taiwan. Taiwan doesn't know what they're talking about. We can't listen to them. So the who went along with it. The who was the one who pressed the, the close button on the Taiwanese journalist. There's a video of it. It, it. It's the most cringeworthy thing to see somebody trying to avoid a question that they knew they weren't supposed to answer because of their Chinese overlords. And so what happened was, China, this is why we stepped away from the WHO. And I fully, I give Trump all the credit in the world for stepping away from the WHO. And unfortunately, as soon as Biden got in office, he put us right back into it. But China controls the WHO. Millions and millions and millions of dollars. They tell them what they're going to say. And the WHO is afraid of China. And if you want to push back against that, I will show you that the video concerning Taiwan. They're afraid 
of China. And so when they come out and they say, well, you know, they, they gave us everything we need, especially this guy. This guy is dirty on this whole thing. Follow the money. This guy is dirty. And my guess is we'll never really get conclusive information on what happened and where it originated from because China will continue to do its best to save face. And I don't even care if I get canceled for this stuff. I don't care if Facebook comes out against this because I'm going to say it because it's the truth. We have to start opening our eyes that this stuff, that everything shoved down our throats is not necessarily the truth. It's not necessarily the complete truth. And go ahead and make a comment if you agree, if you disagree, we'll cover it. Um, let's, let's look at some of this. New York, I'm in New York already and signed a petition to impeach Cuomo. Good, good guys. Keep that going. Because if you watched what happened with Newsom, it's rolling right now. And I love it because these, these recall efforts are kind of showing where the population is as a whole. Yes, yes, yes. 80 million votes, the most beloved president in the world. Everybody showed up for him, just not for any of his rallies. He couldn't even string together 14 cars to honk their horns. But be that as it may, 80 million votes. Despite that, you are seeing a groundswell of population lifting up and, and really saying we're done with this crap. And so, New York, I encourage you, get this video out to people in New York. Let them know what's going on with their administration. Let them know what they're covering up because I can almost guarantee this article will never make it main. It'll never go big. It'll never be shown wide and far that the Cuomo administration was hiding this stuff from everybody. But look at California. Newsom, he's on the ropes. And California, you guys have to keep pushing. Don't stop on this. Do not stop. Keep going. Keep pushing. Keep getting more signatures. Do what you have to do because you know they will be looking at every single signature with immense scrutiny. You're, you're, <laughs> you're, you're not in good odds, but you can still do it. And I really believe that if California can do that, New York can do it too. Heck, Michigan can do it. I'm surprised Michigan hasn't had more movement because outside of Detroit and Flint and Saginaw, there's really not any Democratic strongholds. Pretty much the rest of the state is red. So if the rest of the state would get together and figure out what they want to do, which Detroit, Flint, Saginaw, that's all shrinking area, guys. So you can do it. Here in Florida, uh, no recall efforts. No. Um, if I could sign a petition to keep him in office, I would do that. So we could do that, right? You know? Dictator for life? Why not? No? Kristen, no? No? Okay. She shook her head no. She, she's got principle. Um, speaking of dictators for life or supposed dictators, let's go to slide three. <laughs> Trump has been acquitted. Now, you may say, dictator? What do you mean dictator? Well, I mean, he did you know, tell people to peaceably protest and then go home. That's, that's the movement of a dictator, let me tell you. Um, especially when people are saying, okay, he tried, he tried to incite an insurrection. Look, if he really wanted to do an insurrection, if he really wanted to take power back. Don't you think he would have done a little bit more than giving a speech where he said, peaceably protest, let's go make our voices heard. You think he would have done a little bit more than that than send a couple hundred, uh, QAnon fanatics into the Capitol to kind of mill about and, uh, sit at Nancy Pelosi's desk, making phone calls. He would have done more. In fact, I would say right now, it's more of a coup 
going on or an insurrection going on with thousands of troops stationed in the capital with walls erected with barbed wire. Now, everybody's saying the barbed wire is pointed towards the inside. I haven't seen no pictures of that. Every picture I've seen, the barbed wire is along the fence on the top, balanced out. But there's barbed wire there. And you build walls to protect what you like. That's why we have no walls on our borders to protect our sovereignty and our property. But, man, we will protect our politicians. Let me protect Congress with, what, a 17% uh, approval rating? And this is a perfect example of why they have a 17% approval rating somewhere around there. 57 to 43 vote. President Trump was acquitted. The fact it had to come to this, guys. This whole thing's been mired in controversy on the constitutionality of trying to convict a former president. I'm not going to get into this. Um, I actually, and and people will disagree with me. Massey may even disagree with me. Um, I can understand the reasoning if you brought through the impeachment process during the president's tenure and there there could be an argument made to finish out the whole thing um in terms of conviction i do not believe you could start an impeachment process after the president has left office but the process was started in the house and it was held on to as far as the whether or not to convict um I also fully understand the arguments and and can see the logic of the argument saying, no, 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 no. Once the end date, the end date. Done. He's no longer president. He's a private citizen. I'm not going to get into all that right now. Um, I'm more interested in seven Republicans that voted to convict. Burr, Cassidy, Collins, Murkowski, Romney, Sass, and Toomey. If these are one of your senators, I would like to give you a little message. Please vote them out. There's one other person that I'm about to cover that I want voted out. But if you're in this states and these are your senators, please think about possibly somebody else. Especially Romney. How does this guy keep getting into office? Everybody, well, you know, I voted for him in 2008, right? He, he was there. Was it 12? Whatever. Get him out. Get him out. Done. I'm so done with this. This guy is a Democrat. Total rhino, you know, Republican in name only. The other one that I would love to see out, McConnell himself said this after the acquittal. Mind you, he voted to acquit. Former President Trump's actions preceding the riot were a disgraceful, disgraceful dereliction of duty. There's no question, none, that President Trump is practically and morally responsible for for provoking the events of the day. No question about it. The people that stormed to this building believed they were acting on the wishes and instructions of their president. And having that belief was a foreseeable consequence of the growing crescendo of false statements, conspiracy theories, and reckless hyperbole, which the defeated president kept shouting into the largest megaphone on earth. He also said President Trump is still liable for everything he did while he's in office. He didn't get away with anything yet. We have a criminal justice system in this country. We have civil litigation and former presidents are not immune from being accountable by either one. Why did you vote acquit? Why? You just told me how everything he did was wrong. How horrible of a person he is. How, how he, he has to be held liable for all of this. That it's his fault. He needs to be held responsible. Yet then you vote acquit. And then say this after. Why? 
And if you want to defend McConnell, you're going to have a hard time because there's some inconsistency in the whole principle of the matter. But that's okay, right? Because plenty of people two months down the road, well, McConnell, yep, yep, he's doing what he needs to do. You know, it's McConnell. Um, and I'll, I'll get to comments uh, after this section. I've got two more things, but I love that you guys are commenting. Please continue, and uh, I'll answer those in a little bit. Um, so there, there was an issue about whether or not to have witnesses. And the I, some are thinking, okay, maybe this was the concession that Democrats demanded in order for them to not call witnesses. Okay, or is this Washington gaslighting? ongoing effort of establishment GOP to unify their party away from Trump. Mind you, that's one of the interior things on this is McConnell and other Republicans, including guys like Romney and Sass and Toomey and Collins, they think they can still reunite the Republican Party once Trump moves on. They still think the rest of the population does not like Trump because they're not looking at the statistic that Trump holds a huge sway of Republican voters. And these Republican voters have seen what the Republican Party, especially in Congress, have done for the past, what, 50 years. And they go, I could either go with a guy who's kind of has some bluster to him, but, you know, actually got stuff done that I wanted to see. Or the people who have been sitting in office for decades and haven't done anything that I wanted them to do. And every time they almost do it, it's like it's like they fumble the football on the one yard line. And then they pick it up, dust it off and hand it to the other team and say, goodbye, good luck. They don't play to win. If, if you're a Democrat, that's the reason that people on the, re, on the Republican side love Trump is because he was actually playing to win for them. You have to understand that conservatives and Republicans, when they've watched what's happened year after year after year after year after year, including presidents that they've had, they have witnessed them get stabbed in the back at the same time that those Republicans are shaking hands with people like Pelosi and Schumer. And Trump was that that one person that Republicans felt like he's actually got my back. I don't feel like he's going to sell me out. And so if you're a Democrat or you're a liberal, you've got to understand it, it, it. Most Republicans understand the bluster. And and plenty of them will say, no, I kind of like it because he, he says what it what he wants to say, and, and he doesn't care about what any other anybody else thinks. There's the other ones who they're like, yeah, I wish he'd stop tweeting, but at least he's got my back. And these Republicans, for some reason, we keep putting them back into office so they can keep just shanking us right in the back, just keep stabbing, stabbing. And we go, thank you, sir. May I have another? Thank you, sir. May I have another? At some point, it has to end. And this is why I'm really pushing. Okay, let's sweep. Let's sweep house. Let's get rid of all of them. You say, well, but we don't know what will replace them. It's got to be better than this guy. It's got to be better than this guy. And if it's not, get rid of him. And at some point, maybe they'll learn a lesson that you actually have to have some integrity and principle. Because right now what we're saying is, well, you have no integrity. You have no principle. You'll stab me in the back at the first opportune moment. You're going to do what you want to do for your political career. But you have an R on your name. Go for it. Better than a D. And this stuff gets frustrating for me because at some point we really have to change this process, guys. We've got to change this approach. So I'm going to take a second for a couple of uh, comments. Um, 
Thomas Strzok said, U.S. corporations own the media. U.S. corporations would want cheap Chinese and third world labor. Who takes money from the CCP? Enough said. Exactly. You're absolutely right. Um, especially if you look at companies like Disney, totally funded by the CCP. And the CCP actually, and, and communist entities in general, have their fingers much tighter into everything than we want to give uh, any credit to. And you're right about cheap labor. Think about it. Open those borders. Bring the immigrants on in. Eight years to citizenship. But you can stay here. Eight years. So what they're saying is, for eight years, you'll kind of fly under the radar, but hey, you'll be on the pathway. And it, it does replace that cheap labor idea. Um, so thank you, Thomas. Absolutely. Paul Garner, never happened to a president before but the Secretary of War under President Grant was impeached and tried by the Senate five months after leaving office. That's right. And I, I know that was one of the arguments um, that was being made. There, there are some people saying, well, just because it happened doesn't make it right. Um, but it, it does present precedent in the whole issue. And that's, that's why I'm not going to say that I'm, I'm totally on the stance of this can't happen. This absolutely must not completely unconstitutional because the Constitution is fairly vague in when that process ends. And there are some some legitimate philosophical arguments to be made of, well, if if he does something in the last five days, by by accounts of time, you wouldn't necessarily have time to convict him. Now then people could argue, well, could he be held in a civil court and that kind of thing? That's that's why it gets deep. But thank you, Paul. You're absolutely right. So let's go to our next article, guys. This is something that France is doing. So slide four, France is rejecting wokeism. And I love this. And this is actually by the New York Times, which I was really surprised how it, how it was written. It was kind of subtle on the, on the side of the left, which go figure, it's New York Times. But I thought it was interesting because the examples they actually brought up actually kind of proved the point. Now, there's a lot of reading here that I'm going to do, but I think it's important because it really proves this point. So the New York Times reported, the threat is said to be existential. It fuels secessionism, gnaws at national unity, abets Islamism, attacks France's intellectual and cultural heritage. The threat, quote by Emmanuel Macron, certain social science theories entirely imported from the U.S., specifically stuff like critical race theory, white privilege, the, the, the central idea of, of the wokest left, progressivism. So French politicians... High-profile intellectual and journalists are warning in France that progressive American ideas, specifically on race, gender, post-colonialism, are undermining their society. Hey, France, can I tell you a story? Because guess what? You're right. It's totally doing it to us, and we're allowing it to happen. And so batten down the hatches, defend yourselves, because it's coming. You guys have already let it in to a certain extent, but at least you're pointing it out. Now, some have pointed out that Macron, what he's doing is he's he's just trying to kind of garner some support from the conservative side of things. But it, this idea is a little more entrenched, and, and we'll see why, but a little more entrenched in terms of academia, intellectuals, um, and and the, the philosophy of France, which is important because you're not hearing that really at all in America. But let's continue. There's a battle to wage against an intellectual matrix from American universities, warned Macron's 
education minister. I know I got no French accent. Don't worry about it, guys. It's okay. Emboldened by these comments, prominent intellectuals have banded together against what they regard as contamination by the out-of-control woke leftism of American company campuses and its attendant cancel culture. So cancel culture, especially on Twitter, let's say you post a, a very conservative idea. Maybe your name is you know Gina and you used to work for Disney and the Twitter mob comes from you. This is cancel culture. But it actually harkens back to an idea of what's called struggle sessions that were very, very popular in Maoist China. And the idea was get a person and get everybody around that person or have everybody saying to themselves and to each other everything they're wrong with you you've heard about these like white privilege ideas where everybody is supposed to profess that that they're racist and that they have white privilege and that they're evil awful colonialists and then point the finger at each other what this does is this basically a, a an idea of casting aspersions of sin onto each other and yourself you're living in original sin the problem is you can never reconcile you can never be forgiven this is a religion guys and what France is doing is France is saying, hold on, we're not sure we want to buy into this religion of wokeism. So in giving a few examples, the New York Times reports disputes that would have otherwise attracted little attention are now blown up in the news and social media. The new director of the Paris Opera, who said on Monday he wants to diversify its staff and ban blackface, has been attacked by Marie Le Pen. Now, your opinion of her, she leads what's considered a far-right group. Your opinion of her, really, it, it could vary. But um, she's vocal. They're a party. Um, and, but he was also attacked in Le Monde because, though German, he had worked in Toronto and soaked up American culture for 10 years, this, this leader of the Paris Opera, the director of the Paris Opera. So Le Monde pointed out, this guy was in Toronto. This guy was in the midst of the West for 10 years and, and soaking up Canadian-American culture because Canada is even more woke than America, guys, and, and they're getting worse. So the publication this month of a book, Critical of Racial Studies, a book published uh, by two veteran social scientists, which would you hear that in America? Two social scientists actually publishing a book, Critical of Racial Studies, at this point in America. It would be pretty hard to find. Stéphane Biaud and Gerard Norrell fueled criticism from younger scholars and has received extensive news coverage. Norrell has said that race had become a bulldozer, crushing other subjects, adding in an email that its academic research in France was questionable because race is not recognized by the government, merely subjective data. Notice that word bulldozer, crushing other subjects. Everything has critical race theory now including mathematics. Mathematics are now racist. You are racist by doing Western mathematics. There was a video of, of a girl who said that science, and, and she was defending this point, that science and technology and the advancement um, of the West was racist. And that we need to stop the scientific method because that is white racist civilization colonization. Scientific method was colonization. And so if you don't stop this, which France is, is starting to talk about, okay, how do we defend against this? If you don't stop it, your scientific method will soon be considered racist. Your economic theory is already considered racist. Your mathematics are becoming racist. And this started in the liberal arts areas. And 
gosh darn it, guys, I have an English degree. I'm not happy about it. Um, I'm embarrassed. And I'm also embarrassed because I saw this, this stuff happening. And I, I pushed back, um, especially in one of my classes. I had a teacher who uh, wrote a book that was critical theory. And this was, of course, we covered her book. And it was how to look at a piece of literature through different lenses. And the idea of lenses is, so let's say you're looking through the LGBT lens. So everything you read, let's say Moby Dick, you're reading it through the LGBT lens. How, how is this discussing LGBT issues? Or, you know, let's say Hamlet looks through Hamlet, uh, look through the feminist lens. And so you end up with this kind of coverage. Well, critical race theory is a lens. So it looks at everything through race in English departments, especially. Sorry. Sorry, guys, that I participated in it. Please forgive me. No struggle sessions right now. Please, please don't cancel me. But it got pushed forward. And this is what France is trying to defend against. And this includes the idea of Islam. So there were three Islamist attacks last fall that served as a reminder this is the New York Times, that terrorism remains a threat in France. They also focused attention on another hot-button field of research, Islamophobia, which examines how hostility toward Islam in France, rooted in its colonial experience in the Muslim world, continues to shape the lives of French Muslims. Because, of course, it's colonial. It has nothing to do with the Barbary pirates. It has nothing to do with the Islamic raids uh, that actually started the Crusades, where they would go up and down the coast of the Mediterranean, sacking villages, taking slaves, right? Participating in the slave trade for 400 years before a Crusade started. doesn't have anything to do with that. It's all about the colonial experience in the Muslim world. Abdeli Hajat, an expert on Islamophobia said that it became increasingly difficult to focus on his subject after 2015 when devastating terror attacks hit Paris. Government funding for research dried up. I wonder why. Researchers on the subject were accused of being apologists for Islamists and even terrorists. Finding the atmosphere oppressive, Mr. Hajat left two years ago to teach at the Free University of Brussels in Belgium, where he said he found greater academic freedom said on the question of Islamophobia, it's only in France where there is such violent talk in rejecting the term. Because as soon as you're labeled in Islamophobia, you can't be honest about the topic. As soon as you're labeled a homophobe, you can't be honest about the topic. As soon as you're, re you're, you're related as a transphobe, you can't be honest about the topic. As soon as that phobe comment comes up, that label, you're you're done. You're covered because nothing that you say will be helpful or useful in that person's mind because they've labeled you. So anything that comes out of your mouth, even if it is completely honest, they see it through the lens of this phobe, this phobe. You're such a phobe. Macron's education minister, Jean-Michel Blanquer, I don't know. Somebody want to pronounce it for me? Accused universities under American influence of being complicit with terrorists by providing the intellectual justification behind their acts. A group of 100 prominent scholars wrote an open letter supporting the minister and decrying theories transferred from North American campuses in Le Monde. 
A signatory, Giles Capel, an expert on Islam, said that American influence had led to sort of prohibition in universities to think about the phenomenon of political Islam in the name of a leftist ideology that considers it, here it is, the religion of the underprivileged. That, Like I said, as soon as you put that label Islamophobia or you use the woke lens, you're not allowed to discuss it. And what these people are saying is we need to be able to discuss this. So along with Islamophobia, it was through the totally artificial importation in France of the American-style black question, which is true. It's complete fabrication. It happened in Britain, too. Um, now, there's a little more level of complaint in Britain, but there's and a little bit of level of complaint in, in France. But the, the American thing, as far as the, the divide that gets exacerbated, that's kind of unique, and it's getting exported out. To other countries, although America still is one of the least racist countries in the world. Don't forget that. That some were trying to draw a false picture of France guilty of systemic racism, white privilege, a historian leading critic of the American influence. So it's something that that I want to see what other countries are going to do. And it's kind of funny because we usually we export all this stuff, right? They, it comes to us. And, and we're usually two, 20 years behind what Europe is doing, but it seems that we finally you know, turned around and started shipping something out to them. Unfortunately, it's, it's nothing good. And so I would tell France, now's your time. Now's your time to really put a lock on this. Do not let this to creep in. Do not let it creep in because it will infest everything and it will tear everything from the inside out. So our last topic, Slide number five, executive orders. And the reason I'm going to cover this is because there was a tweet going around from Sean Foyt. And, and just go ahead and leave that slide up for a second. I want you guys to kind of look at those numbers. So the, the hundreds numbers are the number of executive orders. The next number is the average of executive orders per, per year. And then how many years in terms of a term or two terms, whatever, that the president served. So just look at that. But listen while I'm... I'm talking, Sean Foyt sent out a, a tweet, and normally we don't cover tweets, but this is an idea that's kind of rampant in, in conservative circles, and I want to make a, a point to this, is that Foyt had said Biden has written 50 to 53 executive orders and zero acts through Congress, kind of looks dictatorship-like. Trump made 220 in four years. Okay, you'll think, okay, that's not really all that bad compared to the rest. He's kind of average. It's, it, it, in, in averages, yes, it's not that bad. But look at Obama. Obama had 276 over eight years, not just four, eight years. So he only had 56 more than Trump, and he had four more years to do it. So his average was 35 per year. Trump's was 55 per year. Now, as note, I, I wanted to see who had the most. Woodrow Wilson, of course, had 1,803 over eight years. FDR, my so loved president, and I hope you can hear my sarcasm in all of that. Ugh. FDR had 3,721. 3,721. Okay, so we're fairly tame these days, but it doesn't matter. The reason I'm bringing this up is we need to be balanced in this approach. If we're going to call Biden out on it, we need to call Trump out on it. If we're going to call Trump out on it, we need to call Obama out on it. We need to decide, do we like executive orders? 
or do we not? What are they being used for? Because the, the use of them has expanded widely in terms of getting around Congress. The executive order was just to help clarify direction and manage operations for the federal government. It was never meant to be an end around, guys. But because everyone wants Congress to move faster, they want a king-like promise, the executive order has become the president's power of legislation and enforcement. It's his chance to write law, basically. People always find a way. So just like with the Budget Reconciliation Act, which gets around the supermajority, and, and yes, that's well-defined, but notice they're looking for holes. They're, this Congress is looking for holes around that Budget Reconciliation Act. People will use options. And I'm not putting Sean Foy on blast. What I'm saying is, let's be careful about what we consider dictatorship, not dictatorship, what principled, not principled, um, voice, no voice. We've got to be careful because we either have to be consistent or keep our mouths shut. And, you know, we have stated over and over that we don't like the idea of executive orders because it does this. We, we've watched what has happened with this, right? And, and if somebody's willing to comment on the Sean Foyt thing, um, I'm not sending you there. I'm not recommending that unless you want to have a discussion with him. You're your own person, but I am not calling for harassment or argument or anything like that. All I'm calling for is if somebody brings up Biden's executive orders, yeah, I agree. It's an issue. And the guy's been going, you know, he was the one who said that executive orders are like a dictator when he was talking about Trump. And then here he goes, you know, but remind yourself that Trump had more than one executive order and he actually had more in average than Obama. It doesn't mean I think it's right. Um, Thomas Strzok said, just imagine if the Democrats worked with Trump so he didn't have to do the executive orders. Exactly. And, and that was something that was really frustrating is if, if Trump and the, the, the Democrats of Congress had at least gotten long enough to say, okay, where could we find some ground? this wouldn't have blown up like it did. Now, I remember Obama, who for eight years would say that they're not coming to the table. They're, they're not going to agree. They're not going to negotiate. Um, uh, we want bipartisanship. But the problem was bipartisanship was always 100% me, nothing for you. And that's the attitude that if you want to have cooperation, you need to get rid of that attitude and you got to find some middle ground. Now, I'm not necessarily wanting middle ground, but I'm also not wanting to change the rules or to get around things just to get what I want. You know, how do you how do you get principle across? And that's why we try to speak truth, right? That's why we try to teach truth because we believe that truth can find a way to bring out the best in people. And as censorship and all of that comes cracking down, it's going to be harder to get truth out, but we need to get it out in a way or another. And that's why, guys, we tell you, subscribe to YouTube, listen to the SoundCloud, share this stuff, leave reviews, be active in this. And the more exposure, the more information we can get out, the better it is for people to go, huh, it makes sense. I see what you're trying to say. And you got to be willing to have those conversations. Sometimes it's not comfortable, 
But the more you have those conversations, the more you'll feel confident in having those conversations. And so I'm going to close this out. Uh, I hope I, I hit the comments that that had some comments wanted me to connect with. Um, yeah, looks good. So that being said, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Next week, Massey will be back. Next week, um, we should be on at 7 p.m., not 4 p.m., okay? So we should be back to our normal time. And do not forget to sign up for the vaccine conference. Do not forget to sign up for it, right? And be sure to go to 1776truth.store, not just to sign up for the conference, but get yourself a nice T-shirt. Get yourself a hat. Get yourself a course. Get yourself something. It helps support us. Uh, we've got tours that are set up. We got, and we're still setting up events for those tours. So we are still open. If you're interested in us coming to your area, doesn't matter where you are in the nation, get a hold of us. Let us know. Send out a reach. If you know a group that you think, or a church, or a community group, or a school, or a college that might be interested in having us, or you think needs to have us, contact us. Let us know, and we'll reach out. And that being said, guys. I just want to thank you so much for tuning in day in, day out with us every week, tuning in, seeing what we have new. We, we put a lot of work into this and we love doing it. We, it, it excites me to do this. This is really kind of my chance um, every week to just do what I love to do. And so I want to say thank you to you guys for watching. Thank you to you guys for commenting, for interacting with us, supporting us. Uh, it means a lot. It really does. Uh, do not let that go for granted. It means a lot to us. So I love you guys so much. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day and we'll catch you next week. Have a great night, guys. Love you.